You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. <laughs> Everybody's got a price, it's the million dollar man. <laughs> Podcast in demand. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a price, million dollar man. Everybody's got a pod, it's the million dollar What's up, everybody? It's Marcus D'Angelo, and we are back for another episode of Everybody's Got a Pod. And of course, you know this fella right here. That is the million dollar man himself, the legendary Ted DiBiase. What's going on, man? Marcus, good to see you, buddy. Uh, every, every, everything's good. You know, it's uh, kind of like uh, it's one of those take a breather. It's like, okay, I made it through Christmas and the new year and, and everything, and, and we're good. We're good. Yep, it's uh, kind of that big sigh of relief before the storm, so to speak, because, you know, WrestleMania season is coming fast, and you and I were just talking, you're about to be out there at WrestleCon. You're going to be there for all sessions, April 4th through 7th at WrestleCon. Yeah, that means the main dollar man is going to make some serious money. It's all about the money, honey. Man, it's you and a bunch of other legends and Hall of Famers, some modern day wrestlers. And yeah, it's, you know, certainly there's a lot of fans there for WrestleMania ready to spend their money. But also, you know, it's, yeah, it's a good opportunity for you to catch you know, up with some of these folks. And, and well, the other thing, too, is like, you know, and I want, I want all the fans to know how grateful I am. It's, it's like, uh, I mean, okay, I, the, when will, when will this podcast air? This will come out um, the day after tomorrow, so the 19th. Okay. Tomorrow is my 70th birthday. 70th birthday. Yeah. Wow. I'll be the big 7-0 tomorrow, you know, and I think about that and I look back. I mean, think about this, Marcus. I'm, I'm, I'm 70 years old, and they're still making action figures. I just had a new action figure come out. I mean, not like yesterday or this week or something, but just recently. And I don't even, I haven't even seen it. I don't know what it looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they just released some new prototypes for some basic WWE figures. I mean, you had that target exclusive one, you had that one that was at Walmart. It's like, man, they're still, you know, Ted DiBiase, the million dollar man is still a money-making property. And as you said, you're just turning 70. And by the way, Jim Duggan just turned 70 a couple days ago. I didn't realize you guys were that close in birthday. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty much birthday buddies as well. So, Man, whatever it is that you're doing to keep yourself looking great, keep on doing it. Uh, and we're going to keep on doing what we've been doing here on the show. You know, last week I mentioned that we would be continuing the story of your time in Georgia. But when I looked at the calendar, I realized that when this podcast drops, it's going to be just a couple days before the 30th anniversary of the 1994 Royal Rumble. So, wow. yeah, I mean, with that being the case, you know, we're going to change gears this week. Uh, if you're bummed out because you're looking forward to more talk about Georgia, don't worry. We're going to continue the story here on the show in uh, just two weeks as our first episode for February. Um, but, Ted, before we start to get into it here, I want to remind our listeners to get over to our YouTube channel and get subscribed. Yesterday, as this episode comes out, our first YouTube exclusive episode of the Hacksaw Hour with Hacksaw Jim Duggan has been released. And it's all about 35 years ago at Royal Rumble 1989. It is the perfect complement to our recent episode about the same topic here on the show. Um, and that's not all you're getting over there. Jim has also provided us with a video walkthrough of his home, which is must-see. Over 300,000 people have viewed that video now. And uh, he says he's got more videos like that coming soon. Not to mention, Ted and I have YouTube-exclusive clips that we release on that channel every single Monday and clips and highlights from this show as well. So if you're not subscribed, you're seriously missing out on so much amazing content. Again, it's youtube.com slash at everybody's got a pod. Go ahead and get subscribed today. But pretty awesome to have Jim as part of our team, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't, you know, Jim and I go way back. And uh, we've been friends for a very, very long time. Man, and uh, the way that he talks about you and I hear you talk about him, it certainly shows that you guys are tight. And yeah, I mean, what a match made in heaven for our YouTube channel. Yeah. Get over there and, and get subscribed. 
So, okay, Ted, this week we're picking the story back up from where we left off on our SummerSlam 1993 episode. So it's been that long since we've we've discussed this era. Um, and on that episode, we covered your final days in the WWF as an active performer and retirement after an injury in Japan. Um, so I definitely want to encourage our listeners to go back into the archives and catch that episode if you missed it. But, you know, we mentioned previously that Vince had been uh, arraigned in the se- in the steroid controversy by this time, and it's getting a lot of media attention between this Hogan's departure, your temporary departure. I mean, the company is in a rough spot and, you know, stuff like this is being reported from The Observer. There was a lot of television publicity in the wake of McMahon's arraignment, particularly on numerous local NBC newscasts, which featured an interview with Tully Blanchard, where he stated that the look Vince wanted of his wrestlers, which is skin stretched over cinder blocks, is a look that you can only achieve from steroids. He said when he was there with the company, uh, they tested for cocaine, but anything else went. He said that was a problem for him because he enjoyed cocaine. Blanchard said that because they brainwashed a generation of kids, he prays to God every night that someone takes the business down, which came off as a very strong statement. So, wow, man, uh, Ted, those are some stiff comments there from Tully. What do you make of what he had to say? Uh, You know, I don't know how much of what Tully had to say is is true. Um, Um. I do know this. I mean, Tully, Tully was, Tully was a pretty good worker. Tully and I also uh, played football together at West Texas State. He was a quarterback of the team, and um, <laughs> he, you know, it was kind of like the friends I had, you know, because I, I had I had already been there for a year when he came, and uh, I so I introduced him to a lot of my buddies and everything, and. You know, it's kind of later. These guys are coming up and being like, you know, like, like how long you guys, how long you been friends with him? And I said, really, I, I, I don't even really know him. I mean, all I know is that, like me, his father was in the wrestling business. So he, Tully was not a very popular guy because pretty much, you know, that attitude, it was, it was an attitude issue. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, but I, I know now also that Tully is a very devoted Christian and he's, uh, um, I mean, he's in charge of the prison ministry for, um, uh, John Hagee down there in San Antonio. Mm. And, and so he's, he's doing real well now, you know, but in, in Tully's, you know, <laughs> version might be skewed because, you know, I, I, I'm sure he very much wanted to be, one of the main attractions in the WWE and that never happened. I mean, you know, he was part of a tag team, you know, but you know, it, it, you know, it, it never blossomed. I'm sure like it, like he would have liked it to. Right. And also he was getting ready to leave the WWF in 1989. And right before he left, he got fired because he tested positive for Coke. And that that positive test uh, made him less attractive to WCW. They rescinded their contract offer. And that spelled essentially the end of Tully Blanchard in pro wrestling, at least on a huge stage. Like yeah. it, it essentially ended his career. Uh, so I would I would imagine that he at this time was harboring some resentment for for Vince in the WWF. Yeah. Yeah, I, so, I would think so. But, um, but you know, again, um, at the end of the day, for for whatever reason, uh, you know, the only one he can blame is the, the guy looking back in the mirror. Yep. Before we move off of uh, the steroid topic, I did want to ask you, uh, you don't have to name any names, but did you ever personally witness any steroid use behind the scenes in the WWF? Um, yeah, I did. So like, you know, everybody likes to paint this picture of just like rampant steroid use, steroid use in the WWF. Would you say that steroid use in the WWF was more prevalent than in other territories you had worked in? Or were you seeing the same thing everywhere you went? Uh, you know, by the time the steroids came along, I I was seeing it everywhere. So it it wasn't, you know, you know, it wasn't anything. I mean, okay. Because of the WWF, because of Vince move, Vince's move, it ended up that the WWF ended up being <laughs> there was there were no, all the territories died 
you know, uh, eventually because they couldn't compete with Vince. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at, at that point, you know, if you're going to be a pro wrestler, you've got one place to go. And that's to the WWF if you're serious about it. Um, and so, but no, I, you know, it wasn't, I don't think it was any more prevalent there than it was in any other territory. I wouldn't think so. I would think that across wrestling, everybody's just, I mean, it's there and there's, it's accessible. I mean, I, I'd imagine you could probably walk into any gym in the eighties and talk to somebody there and get your hands on steroids. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, uh, like whenever we went to LA, we all, we, we all worked out at goals gym in, uh, uh, gosh on, uh, oh, it's a famous gym down there. Um, it's like right on the beach. Um, oh, oh gosh. Uh, they call it Muscle Beach. Yeah, call it Muscle Beach. And that gym, I mean, that's where, I mean, and Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger worked out there. I mean, there are a lot of celebrities that, that worked out in, in that gym. So, yeah, it's, but, I I mean, and so I would go, I mean, I mean, I worked out. I mean, what? And, 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 uh, even when again when I when I signed the contract with Vince, uh, Vince said he said he said Ted he said uh, he said your work is great but he says I, I would like to see you have a little more presence in the gym <laughs> and you know that's it and and I did you know I mean I started working out regularly uh, you know and but you know the the, the whole steroid thing was you know I was kind of like I was I was afraid of steroids. It was kind of like because I would hear stories about people taking steroids, and then all of a sudden they've got cancer. Right. That that's because steroids does what it makes things grow. Yeah. So you know, and when I start hearing those stories, I go, nah, I don't care. You know, I'll uh, you know, and, and 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 did I ever? Yeah, I, I did a couple times, and then I, again. Just my fear of it is kind of like I was more concerned about my personal health than I was looking like uh, Tony Atlas. <laughs> I'm with you. I think, you know, and, and uh, obviously guys like you and Jake proved that it's not a necessary thing to accomplish success in right, wrestling. Right, right. Well, uh, Gene Okerlund is going to leave the company shortly after you do. Bobby Heenan is out the door in December of 93, and both are going to make the jump to WCW. So, I mean, it's not just you and Hogan that are leaving in late 93. A lot of stalwart names in the company are gone, and it's really starting to feel like people taking lifeboats off of a sinking ship. So, Ted, can you talk a little bit about how losing guys like Gene Okerlund and Bobby Heenan would impact the presentation of the company at this time? Um, Well, I mean, it was... Yeah, I mean, because of them them being established as they were, uh, and uh, I mean that obviously they were put in those positions because they were very good at them. Mm-hmm. They were good on the microphone. Uh, Bobby Heenan, oh my gosh, uh, got Bobby Heenan. I mean, in, in terms of being a, a a guy on the on the mic, he was great. He was a great manager. I mean. That was really his gift. You know, he was, uh, I wouldn't call him like the greatest wrestler in the world, but, uh, you know, he had feuds too and, and, and the whole managing gimmick. And he was one of the hottest, you know, most, well, most hated managers in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, but I thought they did great personally. And not to mention Gene, who's like, you know, he's been established as this kind of like uh, like a, a straight man backstage, a guy that the other guys can sort of play off of during interviews. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, it's it's a big loss. And, you know, when you got, you know, you became a pop culture icon. Jake did. Hogan did. But so did these guys because they're part of this product. So now they're yeah. a part of pop culture. You've got all these all of this equity in these guys. And all of a sudden the competition has stolen that equity from you. <laughs> so it's like uh, you really can't overstate what a big loss two guys like Heenan and uh, Okerlund were. Yeah. Um, Ted, before you make your return to the company, there are some other notable arrivals in late 93. First, Medusa comes into the WWF at this time and gets rebranded as Alundra Blaze. The women's title had been deactivated in 1990, and Medusa is going to win a tournament to capture the belt and get things going again in the women's division. Why do you think Vince decided to move off of women's wrestling three years before reinstating the division? You know, I have no idea. Um, 
I, I really don't. I'm, 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 I'm clueless as, as, to, as to the why. Uh, I know that currently, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, it's my understanding that, that, well, not just my understanding, uh, you know, and I don't, and I hope none of the, the current talent, you know, working the guys that are working for men's take this the wrong way, but I watch and as I watch and a lot of the, a lot of my peers, the guys that were in the business the same time I, as they watch the girls division of the WWE put on more believable matches than the guys. Yep. Uh, it's, and, and I mean, I can, and it just guy after a guy after guy that, that were with me at that time will ag- agree with me. So, and, and I, I don't know why. I, and, you know, and I, of course, I, I, it's almost like, okay, is Vince, is Vince featuring the girls more? Now. He is. He is now. And I, I think at this time in 93, he probably wanted to feature the girls more. And by the way, like a lot of talented women out there today, but like as somebody like Medusa, Alondra Blaze now, they, there was like Akira Hokutu, Bull Nakano, uh, Heidi Lee Morgan. There were a lot of really talented women. Luna Vachon, so many talented women back then. Yeah, uh, I think that he could have probably featured them similarly to how he does today. Um, you know, he just, it, I, I think it, you know, maybe the world just wasn't quite ready for it yet. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know because I mean, uh, you know, the ladies division of wrestling, you know, in the, in the territorial days, uh, you know, I mean, again, my mother, my mother was a professional wrestler. That's how she met my stepfather, Mike DiBiase. Uh, they met on the road. They were both wrestling somewhere in the same territory and, uh, and I believe it might have been Am- Am- the Amarillo territory with, where the Funks are or head were headquartered. But uh, you know, my dad. I mean, my mom. I mean, you know, th- there's a lot of guys. I mean, it's kind of like Kurt Henning. You know, his dad was a wrestler, and and uh, uh, who else can we name? Uh, of course, Jake's dad. And but there's a lot of them. There's not anybody else who can say what I'm about to say. Both of my parents were professional wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> I never really thought of it in those terms. That is really remarkable. Yeah, it is. And I mean, it also gives you a really unique perspective, probably on women's wrestling that most other guys don't have, because you know you got to see some of the stuff that your mom was able to do, and and uh, yeah, it's it's just it's interesting how you know this is thirty years ago we're talking. Vince is ready to bring women's wrestling back, but never quite puts all his all into it. And now, thirty years later, I mean, it is up there at the same level, if not a higher level, than men's wrestling. I mean, we closed a WrestleMania with a women's match. Yeah, so. I mean, Pretty, pretty incredible. Pretty incredible. Um, what about Alundra herself? Did you get an opportunity to spend much time around Medusa? Uh, I mean, I was, you know, we were friendly. I mean, um, uh, you know, it wasn't like bosom buddies or anything, but, you know, I, I, you know, I, I thought she was a pretty nice, I never heard anything horrible about her. Uh, and, and uh, you know, what, what little time I was around her, I thought, you know, hey, you know what, uh, she's, She's deserving, and God bless you. She was deserving of her spot. She's very, very underrated. And, you know, you look back at the kind of money that the women were making back then as compared to now, it's like, man, it's it, it would be tough to be from her generation of wrestling and not feel a little bit embittered about it. You know, I can say that, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point. You know, it's kind of like the old NFL and the new NFL. Yep. You know, uh, you know what was it back in the old NFL? Probably when I was twelve years old and watching it, the Green Bay Packers, uh, you know, took on the uh, Dallas Cowboys. You remember that one? The Ice and, Bowl. And and uh, you know they might have made a, a, a what you know as as a, a football player back then, hundred thousand dollars is probably be a lot of money. <laughs> Not today. No, it was not. Yeah, they're all signing these multi-million-dollar contracts. And, you know, and uh, you know that's something else. You know, I have. I'd like to look into that, or maybe you could look into it. <laughs> you know, the the average sal- salary of like a like an offensive or defensive lineman 
in the NFL. Well, let me say this. As we were talking just now, I just looked up uh, Joe Namath's salary. So 1969, Joe Namath was the most popular athlete probably on the face of the planet. Oh, yeah. Um, What do you think Joe Namath was making from the NFL? I don't know what he made for his endorsements or whatever, but just from the NFL, what do you think he made annually? I'm clueless. He made $75,000 in 1969. So wow. one of the biggest and look, that's a lot of money in 1969 with inflation. Like that's 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 a that's a shit pile of money back then. However, now you look back at that and you're like, that is nothing. He was he was making nothing during the most important year of his entire career, the, the year that he became a pop culture icon. Yeah, and, and of course, and but like you also said too, if you and again, like in nineteen sixty-nine, um I remember uh we we bought a new car, and I think it was a, a Pontiac Bonneville four door, and I think it cost six thousand dollars. That was the price of a new car in nineteen sixty nine too. Wow, six or seven grand, uh, you know. And I think you can check that out. Uh, but now, my gosh, I mean, you know, okay. I'll give you another example. The first house I bought, this was when I I was, when I married my first wife and, 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 and I bought a house in Amarillo because that was the territory where I met her and all that stuff. And was going to, you know, and and I figured, well, if we leave, we'll just rent it out. And as as a result, we got a divorce and we sold it, but I paid, I was a nice, I can't, it wasn't huge. But it was a three-bedroom house, and for forty-five thousand dollars. Now you pay sixty thousand dollars for a, 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 a wagoneer, or maybe more. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I live in a three-bedroom home now uh, with three bathrooms. I'm not going to say what I paid for it, but it was not that amount. It was. <laughs> it was. It was <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. a whole lot more. Absolutely. Well, yeah, me too. I mean, uh, the house that I live in now, Mel and I have lived in, uh, oh gosh, we, we, we had, uh, our first home was on the other side of the interstate. That's one, uh, two, hold on, three. I think this is our third, third or fourth home. The uh, the third home, you know, I, I had, and that was when I was, you know, making good money and doing all the stuff. Uh, it was a big house. It was a, you know, like five, you know, like master bedroom downstairs, four bedrooms and a game room upstairs. It was big. Pool in the backyard, the whole the whole nine yards. Uh, and I can't remember. I can't remember right now. My, I'd have to get my wife to tell you what we paid for that. Uh, but I guarantee you that by the time I bought this house that I'm in now, which is much much smaller, I probably because of the difference in you know time, you know, paid almost as much for this house as I paid for that house when it was brand new. <laughs> Just crazy, crazy. It is. It really is. And yeah, it's like I can't blame a guy like you or Medusa or whoever for being a little bit like resentful when you see like, you know, these guys have got their own private buses that they ride from town to town on. And it's like, man, I was I was, you know, you guys were renting like whatever, like a fucking Ford Taurus and sleeping in a terrible hotel, you know, so yeah. it's uh, times have changed, brother. Yeah, I guess. But, you know, hey, you know, God bless him. I, you know, yeah, I look and I try to be I try to reason it this way. It's like. Well, you look, you look back at, okay. Okay. Look when Elvis Presley was, was just starting out. Um, and you ever, if you ever watch that movie, you watch about how, I mean, they traveled in the car, you know, they, you know, you know, he, you know, and, and, and by the time he got to the end of his career, <laughs> yeah, he owned his own jet. Uh, <laughs> but along the way, you know, a lot of things changed. That's and they continue to change. So yeah, God bless them. God bless them is right. You know, who wouldn't take the deal that these guys are, are working with now? You know, it's uh, good for them. Glad they got it. 
Uh, so it's reported in the January 17th Observer that your neck surgery recovery would keep you out of action for about a year. Meltzer would uh, accurately point out that you, you might surface in a managerial or announcing role if the right opportunity presented itself. Ted, I know that you had your sights set on retiring early after the untimely passing of your father in the ring, but I'm curious, when you suffered the neck injury in Japan, did you know immediately, like, okay, my in-ring days are over, or were you hopeful that maybe you could return? For no, I, I didn't. I didn't know uh, immediately. Um, I it, it 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 took a while. Uh, I mean, I had to come home and you know, you know, go see a doctor, and uh, you know, um, it's kind of like you know, I think I think Jake if I'm not mistaken, had a similar surgery with his neck. Have you he guys talked about it? He did, yes. Um, and I think it was recommended to him that he stop wrestling at that time. Yeah. yeah well, and that's what, that's what my doctor said. He said, you know, he says, now I can't tell you what to do. And he says, but uh, he says, you know, like, uh, it's almost like this could come back to haunt you again. You know, so he, you know, his recommendation was, you know, I, I recommend that you, that you retire. And I think when, when this all happened, I think I was, I was like, I was 39. I was about to turn 40 and back to the promise I made to myself. I said, just because my father died at the age of 69, I'm sorry, 45 in 1969, I said, I'm not going to stay too long. And uh, I was about to turn, okay, I'm, I'm about to turn 70, you know, now, you know, tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you've got your health, so probably yeah. the right yeah. move is to yeah. step away. Yeah. So. Um, well, you've been out of action with the WWF since August 93 at this point, but here's the new year's getting started. You're brought back as a surprise color commenta commentator at the Royal Rumble. Uh, during this time away, uh, you'd have your surgery. Is that correct? I think so, yeah. Okay. Now, you're going from working every single day and being on the road constantly to all of a sudden you come to a full and complete stop with that lifestyle. Um, was it a difficult adjustment for you? No, <laughs> I mean, I mean, after being on the road, like I had been on the road, uh, it, it was, it was like, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's kind of like, I got to do what I got to show up for the pay-per-view and do commentary. And then, and then I would show up again once a week, uh, I think for a day, maybe two, uh, and do the, uh, voiceover stuff with, with gorilla monsoon for, because you know we they used to do three shows once every once every three weeks they would they they would they would do a Monday night it was all it was three weeks of Monday Night Raw and then or, or whatever that was whatever that was wrestling challenge I can't remember them now uh, but they would they would do three shows on Monday three shows on Tuesday and then the only thing I would have to come back for was the the commentary. Because they would just do all of the wrestling for those three th three weeks of shows, but then you'd have to do the commentary, come back and do you know do the commentary in the, in the uh, you know back back in Stanford. Right. Okay. It's so like the voiceover type commentary. Yeah. So yeah. man, uh, life life had changed big time. Whenever you get this call to come in and, and become an announcer, which is a good thing. It's it's a yeah. good change. Okay, let's take a minute to discuss our fantastic sponsor that is changing the lives of men everywhere. Of course, we are talking about Blue Chew. Are you ready to perform with the confidence of the million dollar man in the bedroom? Are you ready to leave your partner feeling like a million bucks? Are you ready to get that thing so hard you could go hunting with it? If the answer to all those questions is yes, it's time for you to give Blue Chew a try. Blue Chew can help increase your performance and regain that old confidence where it counts the very most. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so that you can plan ahead or be ready when that opportunity springs up. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. 
the best part of it, it's all done online. You can forget about those visits to the doctor's office. No more weird, awkward, uncomfortable conversations. And no waiting in line at the pharmacy anymore. It comes right to you. Bluetooth tablets are made right here in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet package. But you know the drill, guys. There's not going to be anything discreet about your package. Men everywhere have never been more excited to see their mail carrier arrive because when your package arrives, your package arrives. Listen, I know what your next question is. Will it actually work? Why don't you try it for free and find out for yourself? Something free from the million dollar man? That's right. You can try it right now for free. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. That's it. Place your order now and give your partner a very pleasant surprise. Women are attracted to confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Don't wait any longer. Time to chew it and do it. Take advantage of our special deal. Again, you can try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code EGAP at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code EGAP, and receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information, and we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring Everybody's Got a Pod. Um, well, here's the big question, Ted, and it's one I'm sure uh, most of our listeners are dying to hear about. As Royal Rumble begins to approach, do you have any recollection of being contacted to make your return to the company? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a call from Vince and 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 uh, wanting me. He says, I, I, I got something I want you to, to try. And, and that, that's what it was. It was to to be. You know, like he would be the play-by-play guy, and I would be the, the like the color commentator for for, for the uh, what was it, the Royal Rumble? Yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, and so that's that's what I did. That was my you know, and and then as a result of that, uh, you know, he told me he said, you know what, you did pretty good. You know, he says, um, uh, I'm going to think about it, but he says, you know, if if, if you're interested. You know, you might, you may have, you may have another spot here at that. And so then, yeah, it was the WrestleMania right after that. Vince said, he says, I want you to come to the pay-per-view. And um, so Vince told me that night, he says, okay, buddy. He says, he says, there'll, there'll be a car uh, waiting for you at the hotel in the morning uh, to get started. And so I went from that WrestleMania night to getting in the, car the next morning from, you know, out of camp, we stayed somewhere really close and, uh, went to Stanford and now I'm, I'm, I'm on my way with the, uh, the voiceover thing off to the races. Yeah. Off to the races. Well, when you get to the building on the day of the Royal Rumble, it's in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, is it surreal being there without your gear or knowing that you've got a match ahead? Like, you know, for perspective, you've been doing this for whatever it is at this point, 20 years. And yeah. all of a sudden you're still one of the boys, but you're not doing the stuff you're, you're usually doing. Yeah. yeah, it was a little strange feeling. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, the other thing was it was like, uh, okay, I'm, I'm one of the boys, but this is something totally new to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you know, Vince, <laughs> Vince is the guy and he's, you know, he's the guy, you know, calling it play by play, you know, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm his color guy, you know, and, you know, that was a little like, okay, let's see how I do. You make a good point that your broadcast partner here is Vince McMahon, the most powerful man in professional wrestling. And this is your first time coming out. You're just you're coming out to do color commentary for the very first time. And you're right next to the most powerful guy in pro wrestling as you're doing this thing for the first time on pay-per-view. I mean, a lot of nerves or were you like at, at this point you had been doing promos for years. Did you feel OK? Pretty comfortable. Uh, well, he he helped me not be so tense you know he said hey you know just be be natural you just call it like you see it you know and um but yeah you know yeah there's no way i'm not going to be a little bit nervous for all the reasons you just mentioned (laughs) (laughs) like all the elements to be terrified are there like live pay-per-view your first time doing something the most powerful guy ever in wrestling is right beside you it's like boy i'd be i'd be uh nervous as hell yeah, well, but it worked out. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
Um, and look, you've mentioned before that in all likelihood, you could have continued wrestling um, and been fine. Uh, just like Jake, you know, suffered the injury. He kept working and he worked for another whatever it was, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but you weren't willing to risk further injury, which I totally understand. However, when you're arriving at the Royal Rumble and you're back around the boys and, you know, the, you've got this feeling of kind of, uh, you know, detachment, as we mentioned before, because you're not doing the same stuff you'd usually do. Is there ever a moment's hesitation where you're like, ah, maybe I could, maybe I could keep doing it. You know, I, th I think by that time I was, uh, I think I was, I was happy to be doing what I was doing. Okay. To be honest with you, because the, 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 the grind of the road, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, like, uh, I think when I first started for Vince, we were on three straight weeks, three, three, three weeks, 21 days, 20, 21 different cities. And then we would go home for a week and then we would do it again. <laughs> then he changed it to 10 days on three days off and then four days on and three days off. But anyway, you look at it, anyway, you cut the pie. 90% of the time I'm gone. I'm away from home. So, uh, honestly, I was, you know, it was like, uh, I, you know, the only time I, even now, the only time I ever miss being in the ring is when I see somebody that I, and I recognize the talent in them and I go, wow, I wish I could get in the ring with that guy. I could help him. So, well, I mean, looking back on it now, 30 years later, the benefit of hindsight, if you could go back to this 1994 version of Ted DiBiase um, and give him advice like, hey, step back in the ring for another year or no, keep on this path. Would you advise him to get back into the ring and, you know, take advantage of his youth or uh, nope, you're on the right path. Keep doing the commentary thing. No, I would say you, you made the right choice. So you can't ask for more in life, man. No. You know, you you right. have you get to look back 30 years and you tell them to do what you, what, exactly what you're doing. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Ted, let's get to some of the matches of the event. Uh, I would love to hear your take on all of it, but we're just going to cover a few of them here. Uh, first, this night marked the beginning of the rivalry between Brett and Owen Hart in the WWF. The ref would stop Brett and Owen's match against the Quebecers for the tag team titles because Brett had an injured knee. And afterwards, Owen would kick Brett's leg out from underneath him and call him selfish in a backstage interview. So rumor has it that Vince didn't want this feud to happen. And Bruce has actually quoted Vince as saying, brothers don't fight. Uh, so, Ted, what do you what did you think about Owen and Brett turning against each other in this era? Well, you know, I don't I don't really. Gosh, it was like um, I kind of looked at it like, well, you know, that's, you know, it's a work, you know, it's, it's not, it's, it's that not really turning on, on each other. It's like, you know, one guy's going to turn heel and the other guy's going to stay baby face. And it's just, it's a, it's a, it's something new and different, you know, you know, but, but, uh, and, and, uh, especially where you have two brothers involved and everybody knows their brothers and everybody knows the history that, that their dad actually promoted wrestling, you know, up in Calgary for years. So, I mean, everybody knew that, you know, the wrestling fans that, you know, go and pick all that stuff out. They, they find all that stuff out. And so, uh, I, you know, I didn't look at it as, as really a big deal and, and other than it was different. And, you know, there's always, you know, down the road that, you know, uh, you could, you can arrange something in a match where uh, one brother gets in trouble and the other brother, despite their differences, runs to his, runs to, runs to his rescue. And that's something how it would like go. That. Yeah, something like that to reunite them. That's how it would go. Like three years later, they they got back together and you know they formed the New Heart Foundation. But uh, but yeah, it's I mean, and Owen was so good at playing like the bratty, hateable heel at this yeah. time, who yeah. just like resented his brother for all of his success. I oh, mean, man. it came off great, didn't it? Yeah. And and to this day, I mean, uh, what a <sighs> Owen has so much ahead of me uh so, you know so many so many things he could have done had he not fallen oh that's just it's just unbelievable 
awful and you know it's at this time in 94 uh you could argue it's it's probably between brett owen and Shawn michaels is the best in-ring technician in all of professional wrestling bar none now if you had to choose between the work of brett and owen uh who are you going with who's better oh wow i know it's tough i i think i still go with brett okay you know um uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. That's a really tough one. Brett was a little closer to your style. I think Owen was kind of starting to usher in that that uh, age of kind of awesome, high-flying technical moves as well mixed in. So it's like Owen had a little bit more to offer from like a, maybe an entertainment standpoint. But, man, when it came to just being a technician, it's hard to beat Bret Hart. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's it. It's we came from the same school of psychology of what wrestling is and, and how you, how you make it, you know, same mentality. So, well, Ted, next, I wanted to ask you about the match that probably most listeners are excited for. Uh, Yokozuna and the undertaker are going to square off in a casket match at this event. Taker will have Yokozuna in trouble, but there will be a bunch of run-ins from crush Kabuki, Tenru, diesel, Adam bomb, the head shrinkers, bam, bam, Bigelow, Jeff Jarrett and Mr. Fuji. So like a whole army of heels are just coming out of the locker room to, to stop the undertaker. They all uh, beat up on him. His urn will get cracked open and green smoke is going to billow out of it. Uh, Taker gets put into the casket and then we get this absolutely insane moment. That's our only clip this week. Here we go. Wait a minute. I don't know. What's this? What? That's the Undertaker. What is going on here? No! Be not proud. The spirit of the Undertaker lives within the soul of all mankind. The eternal flame of life that cannot be extinguished. The origin of which cannot be explained. The answer lies in the everlasting spirit. Soon all mankind will witness the rebirth of the Undertaker. In peace. Oh my! What? We've never seen anything. What? Anything? Quite what like is this? What is it? Hey, wait a minute. Wait just a minute. So, uh, so the Undertaker dies and ascends into heaven. <laughs> I don't know if he ascends into heaven. <laughs> so this character who's dead is now dying some more on pay-per-view. And uh, he's rising somewhere. I don't know where he's going, but he's rising out of the building after the camera in the in the casket captures him. What do you think, Ted? Good stuff or maybe a little too much? Uh, I mean, I, I, you know, I remember that and I, I enjoyed it. I mean, Hey, you know what? It's, uh, Vince had made wrestling sports entertainment. So like, let's entertain him. Let's, you know, why not? <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, I thought it was pretty cool. You know, a lot of fans are, they say, I like, oh, this campy, cheesy stuff. And I'm like, I don't know. I kind of like this, that this guy can like summon lightning and just, you know, rise from the grave. Well, and you gotta, here's the other thing you got to understand, you know, uh, and it's what I've grown to understand. I mean, when I first went to work for Vince, you know, I was still in, in that old school mentality, you know, how we used to do things. What, what Vince McMahon did is he took professional wrestling and he marked, marked, marketed it to a younger crowd. That's why, uh, you know, like all of your heroes are bigger than life. 
you know, and it's just kind of like, and all of your villains are, are bigger than life. And it's, you know, kind of like, uh, I was, I was like snidely whiplash, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, cause not only is he marketing a wrestling show along with the wrestling show, there's now going to be video games, action figures, and all of this unbelievable merchandise for his new audience. And I, you know, you know, back then I didn't understand it, but I'm telling you what, it was a stroke of genius. I mean, no question about it. And the proof is in the pudding, you know, the most successful wrestling company ever. And like, yep, I might watch that as a grown man and say, like, what is what is happening with this guy? He's rising out of the, the Titan Tron or whatever. As yeah. a kid, though, you're watching that. And you're like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing ever. You yeah, know? they're the ones that are going to they're going to buy the video games. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They're yeah. not marketing to grown men. Uh so, okay, lastly, let's talk about the Rumble itself, mainly the incredible finish. Lex Luger and Bret Hart are going to be co-winners of the Rumble when they synchronize perfectly and go over the top rope together and their feet hit the ground at the exact same moment. Ted, it's seriously uncanny how perfect they time this thing. I assume it's mostly Bret. He's a great athlete and just kind of timed it out. But it's, it's insane how they both hit at the same time and they're just co-winners. Um, and do you think it's safe to say that Vince maybe wasn't quite ready to commit to one or the other as this new flag bearer for the company at this time? You know, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure if that was the issue or, or if the issue was still unanswered. Mm. You know, and uh, let's 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 do this finish tonight this way where uh, <laughs> they they both hit at the same time and, and we'll, we'll talk about where we're going later. I don't know. Man, it's if you haven't seen that clip, listeners, go and find that clip of those two hitting at the same time. Bruce has said that they had a bunch of camera angles prepared for it so that, you know, they would just be they would be just above the feet with some angles so that if they didn't hit, that's what they would show on, you know, the videotape is yeah. just like ankles up. Um, but he was like, we we got to just show the normal footage because it was perfect. They hit at the exact same moment. Um, so pretty wild stuff. Uh, and Ted, you know, I, when it comes to Luger and Brett and that argument, I think the argument could be made either way at this point as to which to go with, you know, Luger has got that kind of box office look that Hogan had, and there's a case to be made that he could carry the company as champion just due to what he brought from an aesthetic perspective and the possibility to create merchandise center around him. On the other hand, you've got Brett, who's, as we mentioned, he's over with the audience and he's arguably the best technician technician in the world. Um, Hart had also already had a run with the WWF championship before. So putting it back on him just kind of feels like going back to the well as opposed to trying something new. I don't know. Uh, Ted, with all that in mind, if Vince had asked you after the show, the pay-per-view closes and he turns to you and he goes, all right, Ted, who do I go with right now, Lex or Brett? Are you going, Brett? Um, you know, I probably would have because, uh, at, at that time, you know, and again, you know, uh, I love Lex to death, but at that time, you know, Lex was, Lex was, I mean, still pretty green in my opinion. He didn't have a lot of years behind him in, in terms of wrestling. So you're going to take a guy who has this great body. And I guess the, what, you're good, what you're going to have to depend on then is guys like Bret Hart and me and, and just about everybody else to get in the ring with him and make him look good. Yes. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, seriously, that's, that's where it was at that time because – Lex, you know, was not that much of a seasoned guy. He just had this great look. And 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 uh, God bless him because it takes a lot of a lot of discipline to build a body like that and maintain it. No question about it. I mean, he's he's one of those guys who's probably avoiding all sweets on the road and limited carbs and, you know, just a high protein diet to to keep himself where he was. So, I mean, a lot of commitment and good for him. It's incredible. Um, but, you know, your perspective on this is really valuable because you lived through the days of Warrior, not comparing the two, because I think that as human beings, they're very different people. But. Uh, you know, you would you lived through the era of a guy who's got a great body but didn't know how to work. Um, and yeah, maybe it was okay for a while and sold a bunch of merchandise, but we all saw how that ended up. Yeah, 
Yeah, and um, and that was the other thing. It's like, and and maybe Vince knew that going in. I mean, I, I mean, Vince is I mean, obviously he's he's a brilliant guy to build a company like that, and and of course you know to to have an understanding of where he was going and you know changing the audience to to be a, to a younger crowd and stuff like that. But uh, but I don't know the. Um, you know, Lex and, you know, Warrior. Uh, Warrior even, and, well, at least I would say this, at least Lex appreciated what was done for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in that term, in those terms, I mean, uh, understanding, you know, but again, back to the Warrior, I mean, this guy didn't, you know, no, he didn't care about anybody but himself. And, you know, and, 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 and not even smart enough to realize that the other guy that's in the ring with you can make you look good or make you look like a piece of crap. Yeah. We're about to wrap this thing up, but you brought something up that I, I've never even thought of asking you about before when it came to you working with the warrior because you disliked him so much. And you're one of those veteran guys who kind of knows all the tricks. Uh, did you ever make him look bad in the ring? Did you ever try to like blow him up or screw with him? No, I didn't. Not your style. No, not my style. You know what? It's a business, and I did what I was there to do. You know, you know, and, and that would be the other thing. Now, if I'd have worked with him, like in some like smaller event, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's where I would have, you know. But 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 on a a major a major telecast, no, I'd never do it there you're the consummate pro so um anyway. all right well we'll leave it there for this week we will continue to discuss the wwf 30 years ago in 94 over the course of this year next week we're making the podcast all about our listeners it's time again for you all to take control of the show with another edition of ask ted anything those are always fun aren't they ted <laughs> excuse me God yes yes they are Thank you. <laughs> well, before we go, I do have my usual reminder for you guys that if you'd like to get this podcast with no commercials, get access to a ton of sports, entertainment, and other shows, you've got to go to premierstreamingnetwork.com and get signed up for Premier Plus. Uh, like I've said, RVD's got a podcast over there. We're over there. Sabu, uh, you've got the game event. You've got so much content over there. You've just got to go and see it for yourself. Uh, I can pretty much guarantee you're going to enjoy it. Again, it's premierstreamingnetwork.com, Premier Plus. By the way, Please do not forget to vote for us as the best wrestling podcast of 2024 through the Sports Podcast Awards. It only takes a couple minutes, and it would mean the world to Ted and I if we could win this honor. So you can find the link to vote on my ex account at Marcus P. D'Angelo or on Ted's social media at MDM Ted DiBiase. Or if it's easier, just head to sportspodcastgroup.com and cast your vote right now. Dad, that's going to wrap us up for this week. I love looking back at you in the new generation era. It's such a weird clash of, of eras. So yeah. uh, it's, it's fascinating to get your take on it. Amen. And uh, as, along with uh, what uh, Marcus wants you to remember, I want all of you to also remember that everybody's got a price. For the million dollar man. (laughs) Catch you guys next time right here on Everybody's Got a Pod.